Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. After working with large internationally known brands, including Nike, Amazon, and multiple innovative education companies, Andrew Wade joined Zurich's education team in 2017. Andrew has over 20 years of marketing, sales, business development, client services, and overall revenue operations experience. After playing collegiate soccer, Andrew graduated from the University of Montana in 1997. Andrew's global experience in North America, Asia, Oceania, and Europa allow him to bring a wide skill set to Zurich's sales, marketing, services, brand management, and corporate communications department. When Andrew isn't working, he can be found spending time with his wife and two sons on trails and rivers near his park city home, and Andrew believes in the education Zurich provides students and the emphasis Zurich provides on giving back to local communities. He's also got a wicked sense of humor, and Andrew and I go way back. We actually... Um, did some work together, God, about 10 years ago, I was coaching a former company with, so it's good to have you on the show. Thanks, man. It's really good to be here. Um, yeah, we do go way back. Uh, there's one really important ground rule, you know, that's that's been a, um, that's basically reflective of our relationship that we probably need to get out of the way here. And I need to know, like, can I swear on this yeah, podcast? Like, absolutely. Fucking swear. <laughs> okay. Woo. Yeah. I get really stressed out if I can't use my natural language. Yeah. No F-bombs though. Okay. Got it. Got it. Family, <laughs> family friendly. Got it. Exactly. Um, and I'm the only reason I'm, I'm kind of bummed to talk to you right now is um, you were living in uh, Bend, Oregon. Yeah. And I always wanted to go ski there and you were kind of my excuse to go and ski and then now you're gone. When did you guys move? Uh, we actually left Bend in 2013. Um, and actually that is um, when we should probably talk about that at some point today. That's a, we left not because we wanted to, we left because I lost a business and, and a partnership and, um, and uh, upon reflection, uh, six years, uh, now I learned just in, uh, maybe the, the, the single thing I learned the most from in my business career. Um, so we left Ben in 2013 and we, we went back to Santa Barbara. I went to grad school in Santa Barbara um, and my wife was from Santa Barbara. And we did a few years there in Santa Barbara, um, where I got to um, I got to learn from another another person. I really think a lot of uh, a guy named Landon Ray, who's the founder of uh, Entreport. Entreport. I used to coach Landon. Yeah, I mean he's an amazing guy and just a brilliant entrepreneur, and really learned a lot from him in a, in a short period of time. Uh, and then you know we just found from a family standpoint we fit better in the mountains. We'd rather live in the mountains and visit the ocean. Um, so we moved to Park City here a couple of years ago, I guess over two years ago now. Um, and we, you know, you can come skiing. You and I have done Park City together, by the way. Yeah, that, that was where we first met 300 in person was Park That's City. That's right. That's right. That's when this is going to be, uh, you, you'll want to edit this out because no one cares about it. But, uh, that was when we were, you know, we were lubricated in, uh, in the no name tavern. Yep. You convinced those women that I was on, um, what was the show? What was the show with Turtle? Um, Entourage. You convinced the oh, yeah. team that I was on Entourage. Yeah. <laughs> that was that we also discovered High West uh, whiskey that day because we went to the grand opening of High West. I, I tell that story all the time because it's a it's an inner. I mean, you know how my mind works. I, I sort of bend things back towards business, but there's a really interesting business story because you've got all these, you know, depending on your uh, on your predilections, these pretty arcane alcohol rules in the state of Utah and. 
um, and a culture that isn't necessarily, I mean, we're not talking about Pacific Northwest craft brew culture, right? And although right. Things, things are changing, but, um, you know, there was a, there's a ski in, ski out distillery um, <laughs> in a historical building. And I believe if I remember, it was the old livery for the yep. mining company in Park City. Um, and we go down and was, I think you met the guy and all of a sudden we're on like a tour and, and tasting. And I'm just the whole time, and this is 2009, I was blown away that they were able to pull this off. It was kind of like we, we fell down the rabbit hole all of a sudden and came out of Wonderland because it didn't <laughs> exactly. And then it was it was also weird because no one had, I mean, it was the grand opening. They, yeah. No one heard of High West Whiskey and we're like, God, this is really good stuff. And now it's everywhere. It's There's everywhere. I mean, my wife and I watched the latest episode of um, of uh, Yellowstone the other night and, and they've got High West Whiskey little product placements in, you know, in a Kevin Costner show. It's wow. crazy. They've done really well. I actually have met the, since met the people who, who founded it. They're wonderful folks they're, and they're doing great. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hey, actually, maybe you can do an introduction. I'd love to get their second in command on the second in command podcast too. I'll make a side note to, um, yeah, do that. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Do that. So, let's we more excited than my business. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about Zurich so that we understand what Zurich is. And then I want to go backwards in time to kind of where you got your experience at becoming a COO. Sure. Um, Zurich is, you know, everyone thinks that they're, that their company is weird and unique, right? Um, and, and most people aren't wrong, but they're not generally weird and unique in the ways that they think they are. Most businesses are, you know, there's a, you probably know this better than anyone, the amount of businesses that you have deep insight into, like there's an 80% overlay in a lot of these things despite the industry, right? Yeah. Um, I actually generally think that, that Xerox is, is a pretty unique business. And so um, I say that because there's not a lot of other businesses that, that, that um, have constructed their their sales funnels and to some degree their marketing funnels like we have um, and and we're a little um, to use that word that I was referring to uh, you know Utah liquor laws uh, as a minute ago we're a little arcane in that we do a lot of stuff in person um, and so Xerx itself really has uh, little to no brand value if you will and that and that's by design um, our brands are education brands that we put that we put uh, put out on the front foot, and those are all um, headed by celebrity partners. So part of what makes us is unique is that all of our product lines are and individual brands are headed by a celebrity partner. And and now you know the, the degree uh, to which these folks are celebrities is subjective, and, and everyone has their own opinion about you know sure. whether we're talking D list or A list here, right? Um, but to us, they're all A list, and so. Um, so that's unique. And then um, the way that we that we sell is that we we market fairly traditionally these days. We're you know we're, we're digital um, for the most part. But we also still send direct mail. We're still making that work. We still use radio. Uh, we're still making that work. And 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 honest to God, we still use billboards, <laughs> and that works. Um, and as you might imagine, that means we have a pretty um, pretty heavy attribution engine and, re- and and business intelligence group here. So we know those things work, but. Um, uh, and so we put people all over the, all over the, we put on live events all over the country and they're the things that you've seen, you know, you come to your, come to this free event to learn more about real estate investing or to learn more about entrepreneurship or to learn how to take your business to the next level or, and so for our primary brands are business and on the business side we're, we're represented, we, we work with uh, two guys from Shark Tank, one named Robert Hershevec, uh, that's a more recent launch for us and then one named Damon John, which we've been working with Damon and his team for a few years now. Um, and we also work with a, a guy that some people may have heard of. Um, this is their most recent brand launch named Grant Cardone. Um, and on the real estate side, we work with, I would say, you know, slightly less famous people um, from the TMZ standpoint, maybe. On, we work from, from uh, 
with people who are on HGTV primarily, Tark and Christina from the original Flipper Flop show, and mm-hmm. Hillary Farr from Love It or List It. Like my mother, that's that's the only thing as a quick aside that my mother understands about what I do. She knows that I work with Hillary Farr, and she tells all her friends. It's like her, it's her, it's her, it's her social equity at this point. Um, right. <laughs> so. So we work with those folks, and, and we and people come out to see their teams. Certainly not them live in person all the time. And and the, and the and the tip of our sales funnel, the the, the bottom of the top of it, I should say, the, the the fat part is our free live events where people come out to learn about wealth building and and um, and we refer to this internally as disruptive education. We we really feel like we are out there meeting people's needs right where they are. Um, and in, in the most efficient manner possible. And so people can then choose to participate with us and buy more products up the product line after the free, the free, the free event, right? So, um, and those, that education can take many forms. There's one-on-one coaching, there's, there's group mentoring, there's, um, there's uh, lots of boot camps and fast starts and um, more and more education. And, you know, people are, 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 I should say, our sort of highest value customers have spent six figures with us. And are you running all of those sections of the sales funnel or just the front end getting them to the event? I um, personally, in terms of revenue operations, um, am running most of it. Um, we've got, I mean, our structure here, we'll probably get into what a COO looks like at Xerox here in a, in a moment, right? And our structure here is um, pretty cooperative. There, there's four of us. There's three founding partners and then there, there's me. And um, and um, and so we tend to team up on things, honestly. So there are some things that I have primary accountability for, and, and honestly, that's how I uh, prefer it. I find the teaming up sometimes a little inefficient, yep. um, but um, but to date, it's been part of the culture, and, and it seemed to work okay. So so I have, for instance, let's take marketing. I have 100% accountability for marketing, um, where I'm in much more of a support role with our high-end telesales groups on the back end, right? So I'm sort of involved in all these things. Um, and I have, um, you know, 100% accountability for our brand management group. And that's a fairly hefty group here because that's the group that, um, that interacts with our celebrities, right? We have some people who are rightly concerned about their reputations and we've spent enormous amounts of money and, and other resources on, on making sure that, that, uh, that we enhance their reputations only. Um, and, uh, let's see, you know, then in terms of client services and, uh, PR and corporate communications and stuff, that's all mine as well. It's really the sales where we kind of tend to team up. But you do all the sales for these companies as well, like not just getting them to the events, you actually do the sales for all Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. You're asking about our business, not my personal role. I apologize. So, um, so yeah, we do, we do everything soup to nuts. So we do everything from marketing. We do all the fulfillment on the education. There are a couple places where we have a fulfillment partner that's a third-party contractor where they'll come and do very specific pieces of education um, that, is, that would be inefficient for us to, to hold in-house. But I'd say 85% of the, of the educational fulfillment is done, is done inside the building. Wow, very cool. Yeah. All right, so let's back up a little bit. So back yeah. up and kind of walk us through where did, um, where did you get your skill sets that you <laughs> well now as a, as a COO? Yeah. Um, and then we'll talk about how you got involved with Xerox as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of where my skill sets have come from, I think I've had um, – like a lot of us, I've had the, the benefit of dumb luck and great timing. And what the dumb luck and great timing, um, how, they, how those two things manifested themselves over the years have been in, in sort of fundamental primary experiences that I didn't seek out that just happened. Um, and then also relationships with people um, that I did seek out because um, I'm, if I can recognize one thing, it's, it's, uh, it's someone who's a lot smarter than I am, and, and, I, and I, love, I love to I love to be mentored, um, frankly. Um, 
And so, and it's been nice after 20 years, I've been able to turn that around a little bit and, and give some back too. Right. Um, but, but the first instance of dumb luck was um, responding to an ad in April of 1998 for customer service rep openings at amazon.com. Um, wow. <laughs> right. And so uh, at that point in Amazon's, indulge me a quick story, it's worth it, I promise. Um, at, right. at, at that point in Amazon's evolution, there's a couple things that were that, that people don't remember. One was all we sold was books. That was it. Um, everything was in Seattle. Our distribution center was right down by the Kingdom. So you know there is no Kingdom anymore. All that stuff's gone. And and I, being a communications and cultural anthropology major, had just returned from traveling in Southeast Asia um, with. Um, I, I believe at that point I was operating a deficit. I didn't even. I didn't have any money. I'd spent it all on Asia. Uh, mostly I'm trying to talk to him, talk to him by drinks for Australian women. Um, (laughs) and, um, and I needed a job and my parents told me I had two weeks. I had two weeks. Um, I was welcome to live at the house and eat and do laundry and do all the normal things I would do, uh, you know, for, for two weeks. And then I had to be on my own. So I've been intrigued by Amazon because I had used Amazon, we're a book family, and I'd, I'd used Amazon from an internet cafe in, in Thailand to send my mother and sister I think birthday gifts or maybe Mother's Day gifts while I was gone. And I was fascinated that I could do that from an internet cafe across the world and that they would wrap the present and put a note on it for me and send it directly to my, my, my wow, family. So you'd already used them uh, in 98. Yeah. Yeah. And I just was, I was, it was, to me, it was the, honestly, it was the first time that the internet seemed um, anything other than, um, a replacement, right? Like I, I had done things on the internet, but they just like, I, I read ESPN.com cause I'm a soccer junkie, but I, you know, I had read ESPN.com instead of reading the paper. I had, um, I had gone and got directions on MapQuest, I think was the, was, was the, was the, the function yeah. back then. Um, rather than going and getting a road atlas, like, uh, you know, I had just been done. Re- uh, certainly they were more efficient and the breadth of information was broader, but all the activities themselves were replaced replacements. Yeah. Amazon was the first thing that I had seen that you couldn't do that in any other way. Like there was no way from, from, from Thailand, I could even make a phone call and make this happen. That's not happening. Right. So I was really blown away by that. And so I decided that I wanted to work there. Um, when I ran out of money, I went home. And so, uh, what I found out very quickly, um, was that I wasn't qualified to do anything at Amazon. Um, <laughs> and so um, I uh, sort of got down the dumps and gave up after my first try. And, and then I saw this ad in the Seattle Weekly for customer service reps. And at that point, you had to have a four-year degree. And that was a physical newspaper probably as well. Yeah, Seattle Weekly was, uh, you know, was, was, the, was the alternative, quote-unquote, alternative paper back in these days. And it was a weekly publication that was free. And... Um, you had to have a four-year degree to do customer service because there was no GUI. So if, if Mr. Harold called and I picked up the phone and he wanted to know where his book was, I couldn't just point and click to say, oh, I see here it was packed yesterday and picked this morning and it's, it's on a UPS truck and it'll be to you in two days like we, like we, you know, like we take for granted now. Um, you had to write an old school Unix command line code to interact with the distribution center. Um, and so your first, I, th- I don't remember how many weeks it was, it was four or six weeks or something, was a Unix command line coding educational course. And so you had to have a four-year degree because you had right. ostensibly proved in some manner that you could learn things and, and um, successfully, right? And then you got a job. And, and my job was $11 an hour. And I answered four hours of email and four hours of phones a day. Um, and I looked at that 11 bucks an hour 
And I thought to myself, I did, I did some, I did some loose in the head math. And I thought to myself, I am rich. How like many, this is, this is awesome. How many employees were at Amazon back then? I was number 238. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's how and why I got a job at, at Amazon and, and I got to be there in various capacities through, uh, June, I believe of 2002. Um, so I was there for, for just over five years and again, wow. various capacities. And, um, you know, I, I found out, I really loved the customer service world. It was really great. Wonderful, amazing people. Please, please, please tell me you didn't sell your stock. <laughs> I sold some of it, but I'm still, the Amazon stock has honestly been, um, it's been a bulwark against bad decisions. Um, you know, my entire adult life, I bought some real estate when I should, when I shouldn't have, but I didn't, you know, you know, and I paid for, I just, I got this in my head that I needed to, you know, pay, uh, cash for graduate school, which if I redid that, I'd probably finance it in a different way, this sort of things. But yeah, I've held on to, to many, many shares. I mean, after I got there, it was public when I got there. Um, uh, but the stock split 12 times after I, after I got on board. And so, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a really fortunate thing. And, and honestly, I had no idea what a stock option was. I would have, if someone would have traded me my stock options for a dollar more an hour, I would have taken it. I yeah. had zero. Yeah. I grew up in an academic family. We didn't talk about business. So we didn't, I didn't understand, I didn't understand any of this stuff. All right. So what did you, where'd you go from there? Uh, after that, I decided, um, frankly, I think a little early that I was going to, um, you know, sort of start that I'd gotten a little too corporate. It was an interesting education, right? So as I said, 238 employees when I started, when I left, it was over 20,000. We were all over the world. We sold everything under the sun. You know, I got a chance to, oftentimes people ask me why I haven't gone back and got an MBA. And um, outside of some of the technical finance stuff that, that I wish I had learned earlier, right. um, I had one. You know, I watched that. Um, and I'm nothing if not an astute observer. <laughs> and so um, it got too big and too corporate for me. And it was the first time that I got a sense of what size of business I fit best in. Um, it was the wrong sense ultimately, but, but I knew that, uh, that I didn't want to be in a, in a, in a, you know, global juggernaut with, um, with 20 other thousand people. And, and the culture had also really changed by 2002. We had moved from this collegial startup, Hey, we're all book nerds, um, which is naive. That's not going to be like that forever. But we'd, we'd start to, we'd started to import, um, what I will probably unfairly and generally call just the Ivy league MBA crowd. And we went from a um, teamwork-oriented environment and, a, and certainly a teamwork achieve, achievement environment to a highly competitive environment. And honestly, I knew it was time to leave when I was crafting. At the point, I was a program manager, so I'd send emails to you know, 400 people or something. And I would spend three hours crafting an email to make sure that it was perfect so that I didn't get sniped by somebody because I had misspelled a word or I had mispunctuated something or, or God forbid, actually made a fundamental mistake about the information that I was providing. And when I was spending three hours on each email, I realized it was time for me to leave. Uh -huh. So um, I went, um, I moved to Santa Barbara. I got a multi-subject California teaching credential and I taught elementary school for a couple of years and took a break. Wow. I, was a fifth, I was a fifth grade teacher. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> did you uh, did you enjoy that? Did you learn from that? I did. Um, I did. I loved it. And I'll go back to it. Um, I'll go, that will be, I don't know that I'll be a classroom teacher, but somehow uh, education and children will be a part of my retirement. Yeah. Uh, 
functionally it didn't make sense for my, I just got married and you know, we're living in Santa Barbara County and I'm making like, you know, 24 grand or something. Else. Well, we had, we had the second in command for the Khan Academy on our show a while ago. Maybe they'll, maybe you'll be the next COO over at the Khan Academy. <laughs> if they, if they need someone, I think I heard that one and it was fantastic. I, that person seemed a lot smarter than I am, but if that person moves on, give me a call. Um, <laughs> so there from there, where do you go? Uh, and then I went to, uh, I decided that I needed to have what I was referring to in those days as a grown up job. I just needed to be able to make enough money to support the, the dreams that I had on a personal level. Um, and I was really curious about affiliate marketing. And so I went to, to work really briefly. My plan was to go there for two years and I went there for 10 months. Um, there was one of those, um, there's a company called Commission Junction that was based in Santa Barbara. Yeah, I used to use them a long time ago kind of early days stuff, but they were sort of, the, I don't know if they were technically the first, but they were certainly the first of consequence. I, I um, used them in 1999 when I was living in Seattle with youbarter.com uh, and ShopNow. <laughs> Dude, that is, <laughs> that is way back there. So you know what they did. They were just, uh, they were an affiliate hub for offers and, and affiliates. And, um, and I became a publisher account manager, which meant that I was part of the group that, that managed, that actively managed the top one or 2% of affiliates in the network. And so, you know, if you were one of the top affiliates, rather than let you sort of fend for yourself in the network, um, I would call you up and say, Hey, I've got three offers for you. I'm getting you, you know, preferential commission rates, so on and so forth. And we would thereby generating more fees through the network and, and uh, more transactions and more fees for us. So, um, I just got this crash course of, uh, of internet marketing for about 10 months. And I worked with some people that just have gone on to be, you know, like, uh, Vinnie Lingham. I mean, most people know who Vinnie Lingham is. Vinnie Lingham was one of my, he's the he's CEO and founder of civic and all these other businesses. And, um, he was one of my clients and he was just a really good search marketer, right? <laughs> There's all these people at that level who had figured out that either on the side or as the primary career could make a lot of money. So I got deep insight into how they were marketing online. For sure. It was awesome. And then, and then what happened then was another piece of this dumb luck, which was I socially met a guy named Eben Pagan. Um, and he was living in Santa Monica at the time and he had a business called double your dating and he was selling, um, relationship, you know, how to be success, more successful with, with women in dating uh, online via an ebook. He was he, Danny D'Angelo, wasn't he? David. Yeah, David, David D. D. David D. Yeah, he was David D. Nobody knew Evan Pagan. Um, nobody at all. And so he and I started talking. We met through this wonderful woman who was a friend of mine at Commission Junction. Her name is Emily Eberhardt, or her, her maiden name was Eberhardt. Um, just a really cool human being as an aside. And then um, we just kind of started talking. They, maybe this would, he, he was wanting to build up his affiliate program and then he was wanting some other stuff done. And so um, I went to work for him and, um, and we built an affiliate program uh, pretty quickly, uh, a really successful affiliate program. That was really great. Uh, and then we said, okay, well, you're, you know, semi smart and don't have to run through walls. So what's your next project? Like, what do you want to do? You know? And so we just, I just, it was such a cool thing because I got to, and we were building a virtual business, which, Again, I'm sure we weren't the first, but we were certainly one of the first virtual businesses of consequence, right? I mean, there wasn't, couldn't even get a Skype call done. We couldn't have done this, for instance, in, in yeah, 2004, sure. 2005. And, um, and so I got to, again, be there on the ground floor where someone who's brilliant, like a Jeff Bezos, in this case, it's Evan Pagan, who I think is equally as brilliant, um, built their business in a way that no one's ever done it before. And I got to see that and be certainly a more integral part of that this time and be on the leadership team and, and Evan hired really smart people. I mean, the alumni, um, you know, sort of the Evan Pagan tree of people is, is unbelievable, both in yeah. how to, how, you know, it's incredible. It's incredible. So I got to be that. 
there was a Craig, there was a copywriter there, Craig, uh, Craig Clemens. Craig Clemens. Yeah. Right? It was that guy. I mean, Craig's a, he's a friend of mine. He, he came to us as a student. He read, he read David D's stuff online and came and said, okay. And he, Craig was, is, you know, uh, uniquely intelligent. And he said, this is clearly, there's clearly more going on than some guy, you know, in his apartment writing emails to people like this is obviously a business. And he wanted to learn how to copyright. That was his thing. He said, I'll do, I will. He came in, he said, I'll do absolutely anything. Um, anything you guys want, I'll sweep. You know, I mean, I mean, he was very disappointed when he told him we didn't have an office. He said, no, he's going to sweep. Uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll do anything. And so Evan just really you know, recognized a, a bit of a kindred soul and then certainly a, a monster intellect. And Craig came on. He had to be 19, 18, 19 yeah. years old, something like that when he first started. And, and that, was, that was typical, was it? Just really hiring those A players? Yeah. He, Evan had a, has, uh, he's, he's not, he's, he's still with us. Um, <laughs> he has a great nose for talent. And then he had this really unique way of, you know, Evan doesn't bring a lot of ego to his businesses, right? So if you yeah. come in and you can make things happen, it's all yours, you know? And he doesn't have, he doesn't need to be the one with the best idea. He doesn't have to be the one with his name at the bottom of the document. He's, he's wonderful at recognizing talent and then turning them loose in both an unstructured but contained way so that um, all their potential has the opportunity to come to fruition uh, with the full recognition that there's going to be some mistakes, there's going to be some breakage, and he knew how to contain those mistakes and help you learn from them and, and, and certainly not jump all over you for them. So now he's, he's one of the most important people both personally and professionally I've ever met. Those are, those are huge leadership lessons to pull forward. It's funny, it was around that year what year would that have been? 2003 or four? Uh, for me, it was 2004, 2005 was when I first started there. I think yeah. it, was, it was around 2007, I think I had dinner with Evan Pagan in Santa Monica at... Earth Cafe, probably? No, the something <laughs> cafe, James Beach. Okay. It was where the, where the uh, fuck, what's the movie? Hey Bro, I Love You or whatever was was filmed oh yeah 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 yeah. i know that place fish, fish tacos it was awesome he yeah. just you know he by 2007 um we had met a few guys so so evan's original stuff online was was the most ripped off stuff i've ever seen you know everything from the from the red um the red text to the fonts to the spacing to the i mean his long form sales landing pages he was the first one to do that you know and okay. he um, as that i'm aware of again this is no one has an original idea but it's certainly the first ones that i've ever seen um and he, he i learned a big lesson from him as well where we were talking about investing and where we were spending our money investing our money and i gave him you know these stocks and these funds and real estate i was like what about you he said i'm putting a quarter million dollars a year into events to go meet people i'm like no we talked about investing he goes yeah i'm investing a quarter million dollars into events and I'll probably generate a $2 million return off of being at those events and meeting the people. And I was like, whoa, I mm -hmm. really opened my eyes up to masterminds, which I'd never really heard of. I've been in EO for years, but yeah. so now I, I do, I'm an addict of going to these events and well, you and I met, bumped into each other again at War Room this year, yep. but you know, War Room, Genius Network, Strategic Coach, Maverick, Baby Bathwater, 2IC, uh, EO, YPO, Vistage. I've been like all over the world with these kinds of things. And my network, what, what I realized from Evan was my network is my net worth. And that's uh, absolutely that's, true. That's probably been one of the biggest lessons for you as well, right? That oh, you, 
without without question. I mean, I remember when he wanted to do this first thing, like we put on events, but they were paid events for our customers, right? And then he comes and he says, I'm going to do this thing. Evan's a great namer of, of products and events. He's just what he has a unique talent in naming things. And he said, I'm going to put it on event and it's going to be called the green room. And so I immediately go into operations mode. I'm like, cool, what are we going to sell? What are the price points? What do I need to get there? What's the marketing? Who are we looking for? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 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 no. You just need to sell it down. We're not going to sell anything. And we're just going to bring in, at this point, we started to meet these top internet. We started to meet the, you know, we started to meet Joe Polish and, and, um, and, and Frank. I did it on Friday and hung out and did uh, ozone therapy with Joe on Saturday this week. (laughs) You know, so we're meeting these people that we really, we look up to. Like we think, I mean, I mean, when I met Frank Kern, it was like, it was like meeting, you know, a rock star. Um, And they, in turn, we we were shocked because they were looking up to us. They thought that what we had was this amazing thing. And that was really the genesis of all of Evan's, um, what we call business training, you know, the group mastermind and the get altitude and that sort of thing was, was basically guys like Frank and Joe and Dean and other people saying, Hey, you guys are, running and building a business in a way that no one else has done this before. You got to teach people how to do this. And we said, Oh, you okay. know, you know, the world is converging when you can use first names. And I know you're talking about Dean Graciosi. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you hadn't said his name yet. Like Joe and Dean. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know him. I know him. Oh, yeah. Crazy. It was crazy. And so Evan comes and he says, just to, just to crystallize the point that you made about those putting on those events and, and investing 250 grand to, to me, to, to small brained guy in the, in the room, I could not fathom why we would spend a quarter million dollars and get no return. And he said to me, and I'll never, the direct quote, I'll never forget. He said, Andrew, there is value beyond measure in being the aggregator. And I was like, the aggregator of what? <laughs> he said, the aggregator of top, of, of high quality, top class people. Wow. And he was absolutely right. We put the first one on at the house of blues in Chicago and I'm in Chicago and I'm still pissed off that we're spending this money and that there's no direct front end, you know, return from it. And, and I, I mean, we don't have enough time left in our lives, let alone on this podcast to talk about the various ways in which that paid off, you know, um, you know, a hundredfold. It was incredible. I learned a, an incredibly valuable lesson because I'm not naturally a group joiner or a event networking event attender. Yeah. Um, same, nor am I. But I do it because, um, well, same reasons you just said, you know, I, I learned why, how, how and why they're valuable. Yeah, I did it because I saw the value and Evan taught me that lesson. And then from there, it just it really massively opened up my, my expansion, which is interesting. That's how I ended up meeting. I met Tim Ferriss and Tim was at my home in Vancouver and Tim and I were sitting talking and he said, have you met Yannick Silver? And I'm like, what's the Yannick Silver? And that's how I ended up being introduced to Yannick, which is how I met you. Yeah, yeah. I was um, at that point. You know, it was one of the, one of the, also ironically, maybe this won't make a ton of sense, but the, one of the, the other really valuable things Evan did for me was kick me out. Hmm. Um, he said, Hey man, like I'm going to change this business. I'm not super interested in the dating stuff anymore. I'm going to either sell some of that or just, you know, at this point he was thinking about just putting it all online for free anyway, which I think he's done subsequently or license it. Or he's like, I'm just not interested. In, I'm not, you know, Evan's a curious guy. And the moment that he's not curious about the, business that he's in it's it's over sort of regardless of of um of revenue and uh, top and bottom line money so um he said it's really time man like you've learned uh, you learned all this great stuff at amazon that we've benefited from and 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 you've learned all this stuff here and you've grown and it's it's just it's time for you to leave and either go you know run start your own company or run something bigger or you know it's just time for you to move on you don't have to go tomorrow i just want you to start thinking about it so that 
you know, you don't, you don't stagnate and get bored and resent me at some point. You know? <laughs> so, so these are all, these are all kind of where the, some of the foundational skills that you've brought on, I guess, as a CEO at Zurich. And, and I would I'd love to find out a little bit about Zurich, but actually, I think this is even more beneficial is just understanding what the DNA of a COO is made of. Absolutely. Uh, give us a bit of the scope of the size of Zurich and the size of the organization without not saying revenue numbers, but like sure. people and how many events. So we, we get a bit of a perspective so that we know, kind of these skills because I want to go back into more of your background this is I, yeah. I this resume of what you've learned along the way and the skills you bring is actually really kind of going to be the best part of the well it's going to be the whole podcast anyway but I think it's cool sure yeah I mean so um so as I said earlier when we were talking about our model and and, and when I was um you know going on ad nauseum about how unique we think I think we are um <laughs> even though that I, I said that, that that couldn't be true before that statement but anyway um we run between uh, 48 and 103 live events a week, um, somewhere in, somewhere in, uh, either, um, the U S or Canada. Um, and those range in size from, uh, 14,000 people in Staples center to, uh, six people. We had an event last week where we sold to a room of six people in Fairbanks, Alaska. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and some of those, you know, the vast majority of those are front end, sorry, two thirds of those are front end, um, you know, sales events, but there's also, that also includes a third of those will be, and these are rough numbers, but a third of those will be, um, fulfillment, educational fulfillment events too. Right. So that, those are the things that are going on every week. So as you might imagine, that is, um, a logistical, um, nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think so. It certainly it can be. Yeah. Um, if you don't, if you don't manage it well, it's absolutely a nightmare. Let's put it that way. And then, and so then in terms of size, I'm sitting here in Cottonwood, beautiful Cottonwood Heights, Utah. Um, and, um, and, uh, live just up the road in park city. And we've got about 80, 85 people here in our offices. This is definitely our headquarter office here in Utah. And then we also have an office in Dorado, Puerto Rico, um, where we've got about another 30, 35 people there and they, um, are fulfilling some specific functions out of our Puerto Rico office. Um, and two of the partners are Puerto Rican residents. And so they live down there. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So, so pretty big scope. So what else do you think has made you, um, unique as a COO? What else you, you mentioned that you had started a business and, um, hmm. and then shut it down. And you said that was where a lot of your big learning came from. So can you, do you want to get into that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's actually, it's the genesis of how you and I met, you know, when I was talking a moment ago about how Evan told me I should, you know, go move on and, and you know, leave the, leave the nest, if you will. Um, one of the amazing things about him um, is his generosity of both, both the material and spiritual generosity. The man is, is incredible in both of those ways. Um, and so he actually, and I know he did it for other people who left. He offered, he said, I'll invest. He's like, I believe in you and I'll invest in your first business. Just come up with an idea. Um, and I, and I didn't have the confidence and I was too fearful to sit down and try to generate an idea. Um, I was too, I was too afraid of failure. I just couldn't do it. I just it completely locked up. And so what I did was start a business that, and I was too worried about using some of someone else's money who I thought so incredibly high love, highly of, um, and who'd already given me so much. I didn't, I couldn't receive that gift for whatever reason. And so I started a business that didn't require a whole lot of capital. Um, and that was a, basically a consultancy. I called it South Swell marketing. So I was pretty into the South Swells in Santa Barbara in those days. And when we'd visit from Bend and, um, and I had a bunch of different clients and, and one of my, I'm sure my most fun client was, was this guy named Yannick Silver. Um, 
And he had at that point, he had a, a, a you know a great going concern called Surefire Marketing, which had, which had been born, uh, which is an internet info product, you know, yep. business. Um, he also put on what I still think is probably, with apologies to Ryan and Perry, I still think is probably the best um, internet uh, conference ever, the underground. I mean, that was just, I mean, I think a lot of what the, what, what um, traffic conversion has become, you know, came from, from Yannick and, and from okay. underground. Yeah, I only, um, got, I only got to go. I think I went to Underground Nine or, or Eight, one in DC, and it was amazing. But um, it's incredible. But the lure and the magic and his his performance in the community and <laughs> just amazing. He's incredible. Um, and and so uh, and I, and he was also you know running Maverick or owned and ran Maverick at that time. It was called Maverick of Business Adventures then. And yeah. um, and so we had a lot of different things going. So it really suit what where my head was at in that time, which was how many different businesses can I get insight into? So with, with Yannick alone, I got to see uh, an info product business. Um, I got to see uh, an event business. Uh, and I got to see a sort of high net worth um, club business, um, all of which are, are valuable models. And so uh, and I also had other clients during that time. Um, he was definitely my first. Uh, well, in fact, in, in, for clarity's sake, I worked for him only to start with and then built built out um, more clients and, and I had um, I got I had one of the, I had all these the info product people because that's the business that I knew I used to work with this uh, this wonderful guy named Chris Haddad who had a company called digital romance and he's just a brilliant guy I learned a lot from him so uh, you know and he was you know he wasn't a, a huge business I and mean, he had a few employees and he was doing great and uh, but it wasn't a huge business and on the other end um, I worked with Nike soccer in North America because um, there were some guys that I had played college soccer with and against and grown up playing with that, that worked there. And I got a contract with Nike Soccer North America. And that was mind-blowing from a scale standpoint, right? So I built that, that business through oh, three or four years and then um, actually ended up selling it, which sounds way sexier than it really was. I mean, I sold it for like the price of a used Subaru, you know. But, um, but, I, <laughs> but I was having trouble. I needed a Cameron Herald in my life at that point because I was, I was having trouble figuring out how I was going to scale this thing without killing myself um, and, and what amounted to not just, I don't have a problem with a time for money business. I have a problem with my time for money business. <laughs> and so, and everyone wanted my time. And so that wasn't working. And I actually went to work uh, in partnership with one of my clients on a business. Um, and we did really, really well for a couple of years. And, um, and for, for various reasons, uh, that all came crashing down in March, right after Underground, in March of 2013. Uh, and I found myself, um, and I, you know, I've got feelings about how things went, of course, which is probably a different podcast. But, uh, but, <laughs> but um, in retrospect, it's, again, as I said earlier, it's been, it was the most valuable lesson. Losing a partnership and losing a business um, and losing... Um, what was a pretty steady, um, dependable ramp to, you know, a relatively early retirement, um, through no fault other than my own, uh, upon reflection, um, was the most valuable thing that I've, that's ever happened to me in, in business. Um, and I was sitting there in, in April of 2013 and I had about $60,000. Um, and, uh, and I, we plowed all of our, our money into this business and, and, uh, at about 60 grand, um, and I had a four-year-old, three-year-old, and a six-year-old, and wow. wasn't sure what I was going to do next. And it was in a town like Bend, which is a wonderful town, but you can't just go get a job. You know, yep. I was thinking, 
I was out of entrepreneurial energy and I just wanted a job. <laughs> and so, uh, and so that's, uh, that's what took us to, to, um, to Santa Barbara. But, you know, in terms of the specific things um, that I think would be valuable to communicate about what I learned in that failure. Yeah. What, um, what, like from all of those, from the failure and from all the lessons, what do you think is yeah. your, your DNA as a successful COO now then? Um, like give us, give my, us the top five lessons, the top five things. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think like from that, from those um, experiences, I've learned a few things. One is to be generous. Um, you know, it's a little esoteric, right? But I am much to my wife's chagrin, overly generous with um, any resource that I have, primarily my time. Um, and that I find much like when Evan figured out that if you are, there's value in being the aggregator, um, there's value in being the mentor. And as I, you know, move through my mid forties here, um, I am often most valuable to people both inside and outside of Zurich in a mentoring capacity, um, with, with, with what that I've, what I've learned. Um, I've never turned that into like a, you know, for profit coaching business or anything, despite the protestations of many of my friends. Um, but, um, the value in that has been incredible. So being generous, um, with, um, and, and generous and gentle with the mentoring of the people around you, um, has been has been really a, uh, something that I probably wouldn't have done naturally, let's say, without those learnings. Go ahead, keep keep going. I won't interrupt you. I'm going to make ask some questions later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then um, I have uh, I am not naturally a numbers person, which is a which is a strange thing to say as a COO. Um, we can probably get into uh, at some point sort of what what is a COO, and, and I've learned a lot about that from you um, <laughs> over both both recently um, in your presentation at Warren, which was fantastic, by the way, um, and then also in um, you know in our time working together a decade ago. Um, and um, I needed the the value that I learned is education, right? I had to go. I'm a naturally smart, naturally capable, um, naturally successful kind of person. Um, but there's a lot of danger in that, you know, you don't, there, there's no, um, it is so much harder for someone with my temperament and capabilities to realize what they don't know. Um, and so, because I'm just naturally capable at a lot of stuff, even the stuff I'm, yeah. I'm bad at, I'm better than a lot of people at it. And, and I'm, and I can get arrogant about things real fast and I miss things really fast. And so I naturally thought that, um, despite the fact that, you know, I barely made it through, you know, college algebra, um, I, I could understand numbers and that high finance was really not that difficult. And what I found was I was right when it came to running a business from a cash standpoint, if I wanted to look at it like a fucking, oh, I said the word, I'll say it again, sorry. Like I wanted to look at it like a checkbook. Um, what I was wrong about was that I had, I had a complete inability to make strategic decisions around how to use money as a resource in a, in a business that wanted to think more than two months out in front of its own nose. And I, <laughs> and I made some decisions that were awful, just awful. And so I spent some time um, getting, uh, for instance, I almost spent Evan out of business at one point because I didn't understand the, uh, the difference. Well, let me, let me back up. We all want to know the lifetime value of our customer, right? And that's something that any, you know, you can, you can read the Harvard Business Review or the Wall Street Journal or go see any business 101 professor or get into any management school and they're going to talk about that. Anyone who doesn't know the lifetime value of the customer is a total idiot, right? And, and I agree with that. But I also think that if you understanding only the lifetime value of your customer with, is semi-useless, you have to understand cash flow velocity to the lifetime value of your customer or you will spend yourself out of business in a hot second. And we almost did that. 
at, at Evan's company, Hot Topic Media. Uh, now, thankfully, we had great relationships with all of our partners and vendors, and we, I just got on the phone and said, hey, we don't have any money right now. Um, I will pay you, but it's going to be 90 days later. Are you cool with that? And, every, and without fail, everyone said yes, and we never did it again. But that was a really valuable lesson. And awesome. I, had, I had a great handle on the lifetime value, but I had zero understanding of velocity of cash flow. And I knew at that point I had to go get some education and some training on the strategic use of, 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 of high finance and how that worked in a business. Um, so uh, that was uh, that was a big lesson um, also. Um, and, um, and then I also think that uh, I've learned lessons over the years when businesses have been at their most successful that I've either been in or, or running or, or, or even owned at one point. Um, and that is that sales, good sales covers up a lot of problems. <laughs> and not, what is it, Dan Kennedy's quote? There's not a problem that exists that a check can't solve. Right, exactly. Um, and unfortunately, I haven't um, identified the, the machine that allows me to get a check of the size that I need at any moment in time. So I've had to deal with my mistakes and, and, and run, um, um, run interference against my own confidence uh, when sales are too good, right? And, and I don't ever, I'm a naturally upbeat person. I'm naturally positive, but, but I always um, check my shoulder, if you will, when sales are really, are really humming along uh, because, uh, and, and there's value in times in business where your sales are bad uh, because what it does is the tide recedes and you see where all the rocks are and you see where all the pitfalls may be and you see places where you've been running really inefficiently um, because your sales have been so good. And so uh, that was a, um, oxymoronic thing for me to learn was that, that, you know, um, it's a valuable when sales recede a bit, or there's a great book. I forget the name of it, but it's all about running your business or about preparing your business to sell it and how you want to run, you know, you want to run lean and mean and all these different things that look great for investors. Well, it's so true that when, when companies go into a recession, the ones that come out, come out way stronger than the ones that, um, well, don't don't come out darn. Don't come out at all. Uh, there, there's a Cameronism for you, right? <laughs> uh, the ones that survive a recession are much stronger than the ones that fail. <laughs> um, what I meant though, they just come out a lot stronger than than the way they went in. Um, yes, because it does force you to get lean and mean and focus and really get back to the basics. And I think we get sloppy when there's cash. You're, you we really do ability to get sloppy. So. We okay. really do. And, and, and like, there's, there's probably tons, there's probably tens of great books. You may have written one on, on how to get your business ready to sell. Right. Um, but functionally we should all be operating our businesses like that every day. Right. You should always be running your business as if you're going to sell it. What uh, the biggest, what's the biggest lesson around people in managing and leading people? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm spending a fair bit of this podcast tooting my own, my own horn, but no, um, I, want, I actually, this is what it transitioned to on, on purpose. Cause I, I, there's a lot of great stuff that you can do and, and share. So I'm, I'm yeah. asking. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I'm, I'm good at that, right? You've got people, um, who are good people, persons, good people, people, I, I screwed that one up. Um, and I'm naturally good at, um, inner, you know, interpersonal relationships. I'm good at it. Um, and, but again, just like we were talking about a moment ago with great sales, um, unfortunately cover up a lot of your very real problems. Um, if you're naturally good with humans, you naturally assume that you can manage them. And it turned out, um, that despite the fact that I'm, you know, fairly well liked, uh, you know, um, guy and, and get out and sort of move in social circles relatively easily. Like I actually had to learn a lot about, um, management. And I think that that's a common mistake, right? I mean, um, when we had infants and, 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 and I know you have had them as well, like 
it was a it was a shocker to me that I had to teach them how to eat, or I didn't, but but somebody had to <laughs> had to teach them how to eat. They didn't know how to naturally just eat. How old, how old are your kids now? Oh, they're twelve and nine. They still don't know how to eat. It's still like minor. <laughs> they still don't know how to eat either. <laughs> my eighteen-year-old the other day had his face about six inches from this bowl. I'm like, dude, pick like you look like a pig down at a terrible. But it's crazy, right? Because like these 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 human beings you bring into the world, you you know, you don't assume they're fully formed. They're tiny and they're defenseless. But you think they know how to eat and breathe and sleep? Well, it turns yeah. out not. It turns out those are skills that have to be taught to all of us. We have to learn how to. I mean, never, now more than ever, we know more about breathing, right? We have to learn how to breathe. We have to learn how to eat. We have to learn how to sleep. And the same is true in management. I don't care how, and again, I, 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 there were some people that probably, um, you know, paid the price for me learning these lessons who were early on, you know, people managed by me, uh, you know, back at Amazon when I was managing, you know, teams of customer service reps and teams of customer service managers and that kind of stuff. You don't just naturally know how to manage people. I don't care how likable or how much of a natural, you know, in my case, um, Irish politician you are. Um, you have to learn how to manage people and you have to spend the time. Um, you really have to spend the time to get to know. Um, you don't have to know everything about all of your employees or all the people in your building, but I can't tell you how, how worthwhile it is for me to swing by um, my man Kevin's desk here that's about 50 meters from where I'm sitting. Um, I know that his wife boxes and I think that's cool. Um, so once a month at least I pop by and I ask a funny question like, hey, you know, has anyone punched your wife in the mouth lately? You know, these kind of things. But And so he gets the opportunity to laugh. He gets the opportunity to say, to see that I'm a normal guy. Um, and I get the opportunity to show him that I know about and care about his life. I don't know everything about him. You ever want to get him a gift? Take a, take a look at a friend of mine's company called the Roots of Fight. Roots uh, of Fight? They signed licensing deals with all of the top old school athletes. So they do all of the merchandising for Muhammad Ali. Oh, no way. They, they Babe Ruth, like all of the big old legends and legends of our dads, you know, our parents' era of sports. Right. They have the licensing deals for all of them. And, and they do some really cool clothing, but they have, uh, yeah, they have some boxing legends. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's close up. So the, you know, the, the lesson for me there was I don't have to know everything about everybody, but I should know one thing about each person. Yeah. And the other, the other lesson that, I, that I've learned is that you don't just, you know, you, the more, this is going to sound obvious, but the, the higher you rise in the org chart, the more people you manage. Because if you think you're just managing the team that's below you with the, with the function that you're accountable for, you're wrong. Yeah. The higher that you rise in the org chart, you are managing in some way even if it's just the day-to-day -day sense of well-being, everyone underneath you on the org chart. Yeah, our, our role is, yeah, that's why our culture and the reverberation of energy that we send off is so powerful because it reverberates through that entire downline. Right. We have one final word of advice that you would give yourself as a 21-year-old. If you were to think back to when you were starting in your career, what's a bit of advice other than don't spend three hours to write an email? <laughs> what's some advice that you would give yourself back then that now you know to be true today? Uh, I mean, so many things. Um, I think that's probably true for all of us. I mean, there's some selfish stuff. I'd say, Hey, buy a few shares of Berkshire Hathaway, you know, um, maybe, maybe invest in Santa Barbara a little earlier, that kind of thing. Um, you know, one of the things we talked about and also I'll just touch on again, cause I think it's important. I think the understanding your the lifetime value of your customer is almost worthless if you don't understand the velocity towards that lifetime value and how you get there repetitively every single time. So I, I wish I would have known that earlier. Um, I, um, 
would have wanted, this is esoterics, forgive me. I would have wanted to know that I am an INFJ, right? I'm a, I'm a weird, I have a weird personality type and I put a lot of stock on these things and I know some people think they're crazy, but I love Myers-Briggs. I love the Colby um, tests. I love the Enneagram. I love all this stuff. I love learning. What's your Colby profile? Uh, I honestly can't remember because I haven't done it since we did it with Yannick. Oh, okay. Um, I should probably take it again. All, all of the members of our COO Alliance have very high first and second numbers. Yeah. All of their CEOs have very high third numbers, which is quick starts, but all the right. CEOs be more fact finders and follow throughs, which is like systems and asking questions, which you, you're always the questions guy. And then the entrepreneur yeah. side be much more on the entrepreneur side. That's interesting. I should go back and take it. Um, the thing that's meant the most to me over the years is this INFJ piece. Um, and, um, and it's the, um, for those of that are familiar with it, it's the advocate personality. Um, and it's relatively rare. Uh, but what I, the things that I learned about myself after, you know, reading through the advocate personality have been really valuable. So I wish that I would have known that I was that specific thing. Um, or maybe the advice I would give myself was to go learn about yourself and, you know, and, and, um, and be honest with yourself about who you are. Uh, I also, um, in, in business uh, and in life, I would have told myself to stop talking and start listening. Um, listen more, listen more, talk less. Uh, and the way that manifests, it has manifested itself over the years in business is no matter how close you think you are, you are never your target audience. I am not my target audience. I know far too much. You are not your target audience because you know far too much. There's no way, right? And so the only way that you're going to be able to functionally serve your customers is to shut your damn mouth and let your customers tell you what they want. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's like we're literally writing a list to Santa Claus when we were kids. We would write a list of all the things we wanted. We'd mail it away. Our parents would look at it before it went in the mail, and they would buy us all the stuff on the list. Like, whoa, how did you know? Right. Just listen to our customers and give them what they want. If we listen to our employees and give them what they want, business is pretty damn simple. It really is. It certainly becomes a lot smoother that way, right? And, and I wish I would have known that sooner because I – thought that I knew and I thought that I was, you know, and that's something, you know, I, I will continually refer back to people like Evan Pagan, um, this guy, Tom Wyland, I worked for at Amazon a couple times over the years. He's now the global EVP of customer service for Amazon. He's a wonderful guy, wow. brilliant guy. Um, you, Yannick, uh, Landon Ray, um, people that I've learned from over the years, they all, they all understood that like Evan and Landon, in a fundamental way understood that they were not their target audience. And in fact, Evan would do mental exercises to get his head into a place where he was his prospect. Right. Very and, interesting. Very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Well, Andrew yeah. way, the COO from Zurich, it, this, this took a really interesting twist, but I love it because there's some really great leadership and business insights in this. And it was nice to just learn of you as the COO, which is what this is all about. It's not supposed to be about the company we run. It's supposed to be who we are as leaders and what gives us that DNA. So, I really want to thank you for sharing with us today. Oh man, I enjoyed it. I could have gone on for hours, as, as you know. I really, I really appreciate the time. Yeah, it was cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.